You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. If you have a, a copy of the scriptures, you can open it up to the book of John, chapter 20. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're gonna, we've been going through the book of John. I know some of you, this may be your first time here. Uh, some of you may come uh, occasionally if you're out of town, uh, but some of you have been here through this whole journey. But we've been going through the book of John for a long time, and we're almost to the end of it now. We're up to chapter 20 of 21, and we on purpose tried to sync it up as we were scheduling this where we could be on this text this morning on Resurrection Sunday uh, when we first see the resurrected Jesus and John's account of his life. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, and I had heard about Jesus uh, from the time I can remember. And I, I remember as a child always wondering, when I would give much thought to it all, of why the resurrection was even that big of a deal. Uh, I, I would always talk, we would always talk about the cross and sing about the old rugged cross, and everything seemed to center on that. I, I thought, man, if only the cross happened, my sins have been paid for, They've been removed from me. I I don't need to worry about them. And when I would hear about the resurrection of Jesus, that just felt like icing on the cake. Like, sweet, Jesus gets to reap the reward, reap the benefit of the work that he did. But I had always thought, well, even if he was still in the grave, I still could be freed of my sins. I could still be uh, restored to God. And I could not be more wrong as a kid, uh, as a child, thinking that the resurrection was just kind of an added bonus of Jesus' life. It is essential to the message of the Bible. It's essential to the message of Christianity. It's essential to your story and your life as well. And so we're going to go through this passage this morning. It's a very familiar text to most of you, but maybe brand new to others. But we're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. And we're going to see for the first time in this record of Jesus' life that after he died, now he's alive again. Uh, He's walking and talking and speaking. And we're going to see, I think, that we're going to even hear, I hope, from the resurrected Jesus himself this morning. That he'll speak to us through his word about him. But that he would speak to us about why his resurrection is so important. What he was actually raised to do. What he was raised to accomplish and even to continue doing today for us. And so... We're about to pick up near the end of this story, but if, you have, if you're not familiar with it, I at least wanted to catch you up to speed. Where we are in this story is towards the end of John's record, um, but a few days before this, what we're about to read happened on a Sunday morning, uh, almost 2,000 years ago. But what had happened just a couple days before that on Friday afternoon was that Jesus had died upon the cross. He had been nailed to the cross after being put on trial, after being wrongly accused of things that he had not done. He was placed upon the cross, and he suffered an awful death that afternoon at the hands of Roman soldiers, uh, at the hands of Jewish authorities who had saw fit to have him be killed. But what was more more important, though, and what was going on at a deeper level, was that Jesus was being punished. This is hard to think about, but he was being punished by God the Father the one who sent him into the world. He was being punished for not his own sins, but for the sins of other people like me and you. Sins that have been placed upon him. That's what he was suffering for. God the Father was punishing him, making him suffer for our sins. And that same Friday before sundown came, and it was about to be their day of rest, a few people who had kind of been closet followers of Jesus, they took his body and got permission to bury it. 
And they prepared his body and laid it in a tomb. Even some women were there with them watching this and where he was buried. Mary Magdalene was one of them, we know, and we're going to see her this morning. But they had buried him in this tomb. They had wrapped his body and laid it in a tomb in a garden of all places. And then Saturday, the day before what we're about to read, it was their day of rest. It was their seventh day of the week. And so as Jews, they rested that day. And Jesus' body laid lifeless in a tomb all day Saturday. What we saw last week, we read through the Bible sequentially. So we looked at the beginning of chapter 20 last week. What we saw was on that Sunday morning then, Mary Magdalene, this woman who had been there at the cross, who had seen where he was buried, she came to that tomb. And she saw that that stone that had been placed in front of it to seal it had been rolled away, and she ran to tell the disciples. And early in the morning, Peter and John, in particular from the disciples, they got up and ran to that tomb. And when they got there, they went in, and they saw that Jesus' body was not there. They had seen his burial clothes even laying there where his body had been, and they had seen the cloth that was around his face folded up and set to the side. And John at least started to believe that Jesus really was alive. But we know by what we're about to read that then they left. Verse 10 says that they went back to their homes. But where we're going to pick up the story now in verse 11, we're going to see Mary Magdalene, who had been there first that morning, we're going to see her come back a second time early that Sunday morning to the tomb. And so I want to read with you what happened then, what John records for us as someone who knew Mary well, who would have spoken to her about this very thing probably minutes after it happened, this is what he recorded for us. So follow along with me uh, in your copy or somebody's nearby, you look on with them because this is important. This is the most important news you will ever hear. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. She did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went, And announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God. In a moment, I want to walk back through this text and see why Jesus was raised from the dead. What he was raised from the dead to do. Because there's a few really important things I think we see that he was raised to do that Sunday morning and ongoingly. But I don't want us to, to glance over or just brush over the reality that he was raised from the dead. That's what I want us to see first. That he actually physically, bodily, permanently was raised from the dead. Where we, where we start in this text, we'll cover the first few verses here for a few minutes. 
we see that Mary has come back to the tomb. She had left to go get Peter and John. We don't know if she ran with them back or if she came a little bit later. But she's now back there at the tomb again, and she's weeping. And just like Peter and John had done a little bit earlier, John records that she stooped into the the small hole that would have been there uh, to go into the tomb that Jesus had been laid in. She stoops down to look in. And she probably saw the grave clothes, the same things that Peter and John had seen just a little bit before that. She probably saw that. I'm assuming that was still there. But what drew her attention for obvious reasons was that now there was two angels in white sitting there in the tomb, one where Jesus' head had been, one where his feet had been. And I am impressed by Mary that she could just calmly apparently talk to angels. Uh, There was supernatural things going on that morning. I would have been freaking out and running away again. Uh, But she saw two angels there, and they speak to her and say, woman, why are you weeping? And that would not have been a disrespectful woman. It was a a common phrase that they would have used in that culture. They say, woman, why are you weeping? And we can tell by her response that she still has the same working theory that she had earlier in the morning when she had ran to the disciples and said, they've taken the body of Jesus, they've stolen it. That's still what she thinks has happened. She says that they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. That's her working uh, assumption still. So she, she talks to these angels. I'm assuming they said some other things. But then we see in verse 14, that she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but didn't know that it was Jesus. We don't know what got her attention. I'm guessing Jesus maybe purposefully like kind of made some rocks fall or something. Like So there was a sound, so then she turned. We don't know why she turned, but she turned and she sees Jesus there, but she doesn't know it's him yet. And we'll pick up the story more in a few minutes. But we get to know before even Mary knows. We get to know because John's the narrator and he's recording this, that Jesus is alive. This is the first time we see him doing something. He's standing, but we see him doing something alive and well again uh, there in that garden just outside his tomb. There had been clues, right? There had been indicators that he probably was alive. The burial clothes, for example, the stone rolled away, the face cloth folded up. There had been all these clues, and we we pieced it together that that he was probably going to be raised from the dead, but now we see it. And Mary's assumption was that Jesus would be laying somewhere. I think that's part of why she didn't think it was him when she turned around. She thought he was going to be laying somewhere. She had seen him laid down in that tomb and prepared for burial. Every time she talks, she says, they've laid him somewhere else. They've laid him somewhere else. So when she sees him standing, she doesn't know it's him. She's expecting to see him flat, lifeless, laid out somewhere. And Mary, who had seen him buried, who had been there at the cross and seen him crucified and crying out to his father and saw his side pierced with a sword and blood and water come out, she now sees him alive, standing there right next to her. And Jesus, this should not take us by surprise if we read through the Gospel of John, because Jesus predicted this. Jesus had even promised this, I would say, that someday he was going to die and he was going to come back to life. We've seen this as we've gone through the book of John. I I have a few texts I want to show you up here from earlier in the record that John gives us of Jesus' life. Back even a few years before this, 
There had been this thing that happened where Jesus had gone to the temple there in Jerusalem and flipped over tables and done these wild things. And he was asked by what authority he was doing these things. Like, why do you think what, that he had a right to do this? What sign could he give them that he had authority to do these things? And what Jesus had said, he was talking about his body as a temple of God. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they thought he was talking about a building, but he was talking about himself, John says. That his body he knew would be destroyed, but that it would be raised back up on the third day. As a side note, it's providential that that, uh, as awful as it is, that cathedral burned in Paris this week. You know what, as I, if you didn't hear about that, the Notre Dame uh, Cathedral in Paris, part of it, significant part of it burned down and the famous spire that goes up burned down. And I heard people talking, even within the last few days, about how they want to rebuild it, but it'll probably take five years. But it'll take planning and scheming and fundraising. It's going to take five years. And buildings can be rebuilt. We've seen buildings be rebuilt before. Human bodies don't get remade alive. They don't get resurrected. But God did it in three days. He could have done it in three seconds. Time was nothing to him, but he raised his body up, just like Jesus said he would. And then in John 10, when we had gone to that, we saw Jesus talking about his own life. And he had said, nobody takes it from me. Nobody takes my life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Those are just two examples, but there were times over and over and over Jesus had said, sometimes more directly, sometimes more indirectly, but I am going to die, and I am going to come back to life. He had predicted it. It should not have surprised us. We're impressed when people kind of call their shot, aren't we? Uh, I'm a baseball fan. Uh, There's a famous thing that happened when Babe Ruth, back in 1932 World Series at Wrigley Field, of all places, in Game 5 of that, that series, he... Put his, pointed his bat out to center field, and then the next pitch when it came in just cranked a home run to center field. And it's, some people say it was the most impressive thing that they've ever seen, that this guy could call his shot. That is impressive. I could not hit it out of the infield, probably, let alone predict the pitch that I did it on and in such a big environment. That's impressive. But Jesus called his shot of being resurrected. Does that not make you pause? I don't care how skeptical you are in this room as you came in. Does that not give you pause and think, maybe there's something to him? People don't just say, I'm going to die and come back to life. And then it actually happened. It actually happened. He was laid in a tomb. Mary saw it happen. And now she sees him alive again. So Jesus was raised from the dead. There are some, there's so many theories people who, and I understand this, that people who are skeptical of the resurrection have about this. Ways they try to explain this news spreading. And I don't have time to address all of them this morning, but one is this theory, I've mentioned it before, but this theory that maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Maybe he just kind of passed out. He di- he, they thought he died quickly. He was laid in the tomb. And then when the, the cool air of that, that tomb got into him, he, he kind of came back to life. Those theories start to get so ludicrous. Like, if that's really what took place, when Mary saw him that morning, do you know what he would have looked like? However he got out of the tomb, explain that first. He would have been, I mean, dude was beaten with, I don't call him dude. He was beaten within an inch of his life for hours upon the cross. It had his back ripped open. It had his side pierced with a sword. It had a crown of thorns. Upon his head, if he if that's what happened to him, Mary would not have just thought he was the gardener. 
She would have thought he needed to go to their day equivalent of a hospital. She would not have thought he's the resurrected savior of the world. She would have thought this man needs help. But he had been raised from the dead supernaturally and permanently and indestructible. He was not in pain. The best explanation, if you're open to it, if you're open to the fact of supernatural things happening, the best explanation is it actually happened. These people actually saw him. Mary was skeptical when she came to the tomb that morning. She thought he was dead. That's her assumption. But when she saw him raised from the dead, she believed it because it was true. And I'm telling you, it is true. He is alive. He is still alive. He was raised from the dead. But we see in this text, and what I've said I want to talk about is what he was raised to do. Why it's a big deal. I think we'll, we'll see three things here. The first thing is that he was raised, uh, and this may sound trite, but I think it's true. He was raised first to reunite with his friends. He was, he was raised from the dead to reunite with his friends. You see this in verses 15 and 16. So she's seen Jesus, but she doesn't know it's him yet. But then Jesus finally speaks. If you have a red letter Bible, you see more red words, praise God. Uh, that, that Jesus is speaking again. And he asks her a very similar thing that the angels had said. Woman, why are you weeping? And he adds this question, whom are you seeking? And she thinks he's the gardener, like we already noticed. She thinks he's the gardener. And she, her mind seems open to a new idea that maybe thieves didn't take it. But maybe this gardener, she thinks, maybe he hadn't got the memo. It had been the weekend. And now there's this body unexpectedly laid here in this tomb. Maybe he thinks, I need to get this out of here. I need to move this thing to another place. She seems that that's her new theory. Hey, if you moved him, tell me where you moved him. I'll take his body. I'll take care of it. And then Jesus says her name. Verse 16 says, Mary. I would love to have an audio recording of that, of him saying her name and what, at minimum, it would have made her know this isn't a stranger. This is someone who knows me. But I think how he said it conveyed such love and compassion and authority. He has come to his friend who is weeping and assumes he's dead, and now she hears his voice saying her name. And the lights come on in her soul. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but the first thing that Jesus does when he's raised from the dead is he goes to his grieving friend. He reunites with her. As as an aside, I think it is instructive to us that the first person Jesus reveals himself resurrected to is a woman. And their culture, uh, that they would have not had the same standing and credibility in the community's eyes to testify to things. But Jesus wanted us to see something when he appeared to a woman first and put the good news on her lips first, that he has come for men and women alike. He has been raised. He died for men and women. He has been raised for men and women. Men and women are both to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And even though he appointed all men as apostles and still gives men places of leadership and authority within churches, we are all men and women equal in Christ. We are all recipients of what he has done, and we are all to be proclaimers of it. But he comes to her first, to his grieving friend there at the tomb. He bypassed Peter and John. They'd been there. I'm guessing Jesus was nearby watching it. He let them come and leave without showing himself to them. He bypassed his own mom. He didn't go to her first. I probably would have gone to my mom if it was me to say, hey, mom, I'm alive. Uh, But he, for some reason, goes to Mary Magdalene. 
and he had a special relationship with her. Some people twist it and make it twisted into something that's not, trying to make it romantic, things like this. But he had a deep friendship with Mary Magdalene. If you read Luke chapter 8, he had delivered her from demons. She'd been demon-possessed, and he had cast demons out of her years before. She had, been, she had become a supporter of his. She had been there at the cross when he died. She had been one of few that stayed with him. She had been there when he was buried, and Jesus would have known that. And he, he comes to comfort her. He comes to her in her grief to, to show compassion to her. And he was raised to reunite with his friends. He wanted them, their grief to turn to joy. He wanted their weeping and their mourning to turn to gladness and rejoicing and praising God that he was alive. He wanted to see them and hold them and laugh with them again. And that one thing that this can teach us as the people of God, if we are united with Jesus, one thing this can teach us is that someday we will be reunited with our friends who are followers of Christ. Someday we will all be raised just as Jesus was, either to life or to judgment. But if we are followers of Christ, if our loved ones, our friends who've gone before us were followers of Christ, we will be reunited with them. And we will not see them with dementia. We'll not see them with wounds in their side and with pain and forgetfulness or suffering in a hospital bed. We will see them standing alive and well. And we will be there with them in that state. Someday we will be reunited with our friends because we see that Jesus was raised to reunite with his friends. He, he wanted to show compassion and give comfort to his friends who were understandably grieving. But Jesus quickly turns this to where we see that he was raised from the dead to do far more than that. Sometimes that's all we talk about on Resurrection or Easter Sunday is we're raised from the dead, we'll be raised someday, we'll get to see mom and grandma and my friends and the people that have gone before me. But Jesus wants to make very clear he was raised to do much more than just reunite with his friends. We see in this beginning of verse 17 that he was raised from the dead to return to his father. He wasn't just raised to reunite with his friends, he was raised also, and more importantly, to return to to his father. Mary has just called out to him, Rabbi, which means master or teacher. She's ecstatic. And what Jesus says to her might kind of shock us. In the beginning of verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. So let's pause there. So Jesus, we don't know exactly what's going on here, right? We don't have a video recording. We don't know every detail of what happened here. One of two things has happened at this moment in the story. Either Mary Magdalene has fallen at the feet of Jesus just in awe, just trying to grasp on him or maybe giving him a big hug and Jesus is like, whoa, like, don't cling to me. Like she's already either clinging to him and he's telling her not to or maybe like when you're a little kid and you're anticipating your aunt at Thanksgiving, like pinching your cheeks, like and you can see it coming and you kind of back away. He knows it's coming, like maybe it hasn't happened yet, but he knows this big old hug and, and whatnot's coming from Mary Magdalene. But whether it's already happened or whether he's just anticipating it, regardless, he says, don't cling to me. Like, let go of me. Like, don't hold on to me. And, that, and they think, you may think, what in the world? Like, why would he tell her that i thought he came to comfort her and and to reunite with her and with others but jesus tells us why he says that he says don't cling to me for i have not yet ascended to the father 
He's wanting really quickly, Mary Magdalene and us as we read this, to know that he was raised from the dead to do a lot more than just be reunited with his friends and have some meals and hang out and chit-chat and catch up on good times and remember the cross together and all these things. He was raised to do that, but he was raised to do much more than that. He was raised to go back to his heavenly father. Now, Jesus certainly did not forbid touching him when he was raised from the dead. You're gonna, you read a handful of verses later when he's talking to Thomas, and he tells him to touch him. He tells Thomas, like, touch, like put your hand in my side, like, touch my hands, like, touch me if you, if, if you need that to believe. But Jesus wanted to make it clear that he was doing more than being reunited with them. He was going back to his heavenly father, and he was glad to be reunited with them. He rejoiced with them. He had meals with them, we find out in the next chapter. He was glad to. But his stay on earth after he was raised from the dead was temporary. It lasted for a handful of weeks, but then he ascended back into heaven. And this makes sense when you, when you stop and think about it. And it's important for us because the depth of Jesus' relationship with his heavenly father was much greater than the depth of his relationship with Peter and John and Mary Magdalene and even his own mother. His relationship with God far surpassed it. Think about this. When he had been laid in the grave that Friday, and then he, he's resurrected on Sunday, he had left his friends for a few days, right? He had been gone for a few days. They were grieving him, having been gone for a few days. How long had it been since he left heaven? 30 years? Since he had been with his heavenly father? He did, he'd known these friends. They were dear friends of his. He had known them, most of them, just a few years. Maybe three years he'd known them and talked with them and had them as his followers. He had known and loved his heavenly father for eternity. Like he wanted to be with him far more than he wanted to be with Mary and with Peter and with John. He wanted to go back to his heavenly father. And I was trying to think of an illustration that could help us think about this because it may feel like Jesus doesn't value us and that could not be the farthest from the truth. And I was thinking about soldiers who go into combat. Imagine a soldier who go, who's been shipped somewhere overseas, and they, they, are, they are then sent from that base into combat, into a combat scenario. But praise God, they, they are alive, they're protected, uh, they're victorious, and they come back to their base, and they're reunited with their fellow soldiers. They would be so glad to be back there, wouldn't they? Uh, they could talk about what had happened. They could be grateful that they've been reunited for after however many days or weeks that they were out. They would be glad to be reunited with their fellow soldiers. But you know what they're far more excited to do? To go home. Like to go back and give a hug to their kids. To give a kiss to their wife. To, to have their mom wrap her arms around them. They would be far more excited to return home. And that doesn't dismiss their love for their fellow soldiers. But Jesus, he was raised to be reunited with his friends. But he was raised more so to return to his heavenly father. To go back to the one who has sent him. And this is hugely important when you think about what had just happened on Friday. God the Father had just crushed him. God, and it wasn't for his sins, it was for ours. But God the Father had crushed him. But he had put him to death. And when he was raised from the dead on Sunday morning, it was a sign to Jesus and to us that I punished you for other sins, not for yours. I love you. 
I approve of you. That has all been dealt with and is done. I am raising you back up. I am rewarding you with eternal life. God, it was a word of approval from God the Father. And him now, Jesus, saying, I'm going to go back to him. It's further evidence that they are cool with each other. More than that, they are great with each other. They, they love one another. Despite what happened on the cross, they are united and always have been and always will be, so much so that Jesus is eager and glad to go back to him as a resurrected Savior. And Jesus had predicted this too. He didn't just predict that he would come back to life, but he had predicted that he would go back to the Heavenly Father I have a few slides up here, and you may remember this if you've gone through John with us. Jesus regularly will talk about himself being lifted up. Do you remember these phrases if you've been here? He talks about being lifted up, and he certainly was talking about the cross, being lifted up on the cross, even physically. But when he would say those things, he also had in mind that someday he would be lifted up into heaven, that he would go back to be with his heavenly Father forever. So back in chapter 3, Verses 14 and 15, just before the most famous verse in the Bible, Jesus has said this about himself. So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then in chapter 12, verse 32, this would have been just a few days before these things happened. Jesus had said this. He said, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So Jesus had known this was going to happen. That was his plan. That's what he had looked forward to was after he was lifted up on the cross, after he was raised up from the dead, that someday he'd be lifted up into heaven. He would go back to his heavenly father. And this is good news. Jesus told Mary that morning, he said, I have not yet ascended to the father because he hadn't yet. But we can say this Sunday morning, this year, he has ascended to the father. That's where he is right now. Is that he's at the right hand of God the Father, alive and well, seated and ruling over all things, interceding for us even. And praise God that we have a flesh and blood human being in heaven right now. With God the Father representing us, having died for us and been raised for us. Jesus, as the ruler of the universe now, as the one who God the Father has made ruler of all things when he was raised from the dead, he has no rivals. He has no threats. There's no coup that's going to happen in heaven. He is seated, calm as can be in heaven right now, ruling over all things, because he has conquered death. There is nothing that worries him, nothing that bothers him. Praise God that he has gone back his father so he was raised to return to his father but we see significance in this passage for us because thus far we've seen mostly the 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 gain for his friends in that moment and for him to go back to heaven but there is immense gain in the resurrection of jesus for you and for me because he was raised also not just to return to the father but i would say this lastly he was raised to restore us to the He was raised to restore us to the Father. In these last few verses we read today, Jesus gives Mary this message to go run with and tell the disciples. And he words it very carefully on purpose. He says, don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. And John records for us that Mary Magdalene went and she told him just that. She said, I've seen him. He's alive. And then she told them that very thing 
Jesus had said to tell them, that he's ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus packs a lot in here. Jesus, note first, in verse 17, he refers to these men, and even these women are wrapped up into this term often in the New Testament. He calls them my brothers. He's had them as followers. He's had them as disciples. He's been their teacher, their instructor, their master. But now, as he's resurrected, he calls them my brothers. That there is this bond now that is established between him and his followers. There's this union between them that is is supernatural, that's enduring, that's permanent. That Jesus can call them my brothers because at the cross, their sins were placed upon him. There's this tie that started to begin. And when he's raised from the dead now, he's been given eternal life that now he can share with them. There's this uniting of Jesus and his people so he can start to use family terms with them to call them my brothers. We are bonded together. And Jesus says, he's, you, I've emphasized it a few times already, but he says he calls the God he's returning to my father and your father. He doesn't just say, I'm returning to my father, I'm returning to my God. He says, to your father and to your God. I looked last night because I was curious uh, how many times Jesus has called God my father in the book of John. I counted at least 25 times Jesus had called God my father. Do you know how many times before this he had ever called God your father positively to anybody? You could count it on zero hands. Zero times. He had never called God the Father your father positively to anybody. He had condescendingly kind of said it to people to imply he's not your father. Your father is Satan. But now he, with all sincerity, says he's your father. He is your God. Like That's who I am going back to. And praise God that what he is saying, what he's indicating in those words is true, that we can be adopted into the family of God. We are not born into the family of God. None of you start life as part of the family of God. We are all born outside of the family of God, not belonging to him, not not his children. But because of what Jesus did upon the cross, he took the sin that separated us from God. And he dealt with it. He took it upon himself and was punished for our sins. And he was raised to life and goes back to the Father. But he, in going back to the Father, can now bring others with him. We can be adopted into his family, not as like some second-hand child, some second-hand son or daughter, but as full-fledged sons and daughters of God. Not because we deserve it, not because we're so great, but because Christ gained it. Because Christ earned it when he died for us and was raised for us came across this quote uh, a few days ago as I was preparing for this. And it's a little thick, so I would encourage you. I put it up on the screen. I'd encourage you to pay attention to it. But I want to read this for you because this teaching that Jesus embedded right at the beginning of his resurrection should give us great assurance if we're one of his people. It should give us great confidence that Christ was raised and now is with the heavenly Father This man, Marcus Dodds, which that's my first name as well, so I don't have as cool of a last name as him, Uh, but Marcus Dodds wrote this. 
He said, we know that Christ must ascend to the highest. And yet we know also that he will not enter where we cannot follow. We know that his love binds him to us as strongly as his rights carry him to God. We can as little believe that he will abandon us and leave us out of his eternal enjoyment as we can believe that God would refuse to own him as son. This is a a powerful thing to say about Jesus, a biblical idea. It's what Jesus was implying even here in what he said is that, guys, I am being raised to go back to my heavenly father. I have his approval. I have his affirmation over me because of what I've done, because of how I've lived, because of how I've died. And now I'm going back to him. I have good standing with him. But you can come with me. Like, I'm bonded with you now. You're my brothers. Like, we are one. And so as I go back to the Father, as I go to his right hand, that is game for you now, too. Yes, I'm leaving, but as I go there, you can come with me. You, you can be approved by him just as I am. You can be received by him just as I am. My record can be counted to you. My reward can be shared with you. And praise God that he was raised from the dead and that now he is at the Father's right hand. And good standing with him because that means if you put your trust in Jesus, you can as well. That you can be received by him. John, the man who wrote this, also wrote a short little letter that we call 1 John. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he said that he was writing to these early Christians so that they wouldn't sin. He wanted them to grow in godliness. But he said, but if you do sin, if, if you do sin, he said this, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ is righteous. We have an advocate. That is true of us right now if we're following Jesus, that we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. I'm going to take the last few minutes that I have to address those of you who are unbelievers in the room because I know there are some of you. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you came, whether it was with your mom or your, uh, your wife or uh, I don't know why you came, but I'm grateful that you are here. And I want to testify to you that I have seen the Lord as well, not in some vision, not in some dream, not physically. I've not seen him like Mary Magdalene could say she saw him with her eyes, but I have seen him in the scriptures. I have heard the good news from these people who saw him that has got passed down through generations and through nations that has come to me. And I believe and I know that he is alive. I believe that he died for my sins. I have confidence that he died for my sins, but that he did not stay in the grave, that he was raised from the dead. And there are countless people in this room, maybe even the person you came with, or someone next to you, there are countless people in this room whose lives have forever been changed by this man we just read about. Who have had things happen in our lives that cannot be explained by natural causes. I could tell you things God has changed within my heart that would never have changed apart from his work. Things he has grown in me, things he has done for me, things he has provided for me. And the same thing is true of many of the people sitting right around you. As I was reading this text this week, I was was praying and hoping 
that as you're here this morning, that the Lord, just like he did to Mary that morning, that he would speak your name to you. That you wouldn't just hear this address this morning as some talk some guy makes that just kind of goes over your head to women in general or men in general or people in general in this room, but that you would hear the Lord speaking to you. That he would speak your name this morning. And my prayer is that as he does, and I hope that he has and that he is right now, that you would have confidence as you hear him, not audibly in your mind necessarily or anything like that, but as you hear him speaking the truth through his word this morning, that you would hear him speak to you and say, I am alive. I am alive. I died for your sins upon the cross, but my father has raised me from the dead. And you may have entered this room this morning thinking that Jesus is laid in a tomb somewhere, just like Mary came to that tomb that morning thinking he was dead somewhere. You may have entered the room this morning thinking that, assuming that. But I'm here to tell you he is alive and well. He's not in a tomb. His bones are not on this planet. He is at the right hand of God the Father. And he is glad to bring you there with him. But you may have entered this room not thinking he cares about you at all. Or that he worse, that he hates you. That he would never receive you. That, that God could never forgive you. But Jesus would tell you that my father can be your father. He can be your father if you will simply believe in me. Jesus has been lifted up. He has been lifted up upon the cross for your sins. He has been lifted up from the grave that Sunday morning, and now he's been lifted up into heaven. And just like that text said, I think now he is drawing you to himself. He's saying, believe in me. Trust in me. He told Mary that morning, Mary Magdalene, he said, do not cling to me. That's what he said, right? Do not cling to me. But that was not a permanent statement. He said, I, because I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But the ascended Jesus, the resurrected Jesus would say to you, unbeliever in the room, he would now tell you, cling to me. Cling to me. That is your only hope because someday you will be laid in a grave. You will. I will. And each of us is clinging to something. Each of us is grabbing onto something in our soul that, that we hope gets us good favor with God. Most of us start life clinging to our goodness, our, the things we think that we do so well. We're clinging on to that, saying, man, that's my hope. That, that is my hope, is that I lived good enough. That's what I'm holding on to, is that God will judge me favorably at the end. If that is what you are clinging to, that will fall through your fingers like sand when you come to the judgment seat of God. Like that is nothing solid. That is hollow to hold on to. But if you will cling to Jesus, if you will grab on to him with your soul, with your heart, and say, I trust in you. Like I have confidence that what you did can gain me good favor with God. That you died for me and were raised for me. He will provide just that. He will provide good standing with you. He will make you clean. He will make you his brother or sister. He will bring you into the family of God, and he will be glad to do it. He will not do it begrudgingly. He will not do it reluctantly. If you will cling to him, he will save you. He will give life to you for all eternity. So I would speak on behalf of the Lord to you and say this morning, cling to him. 
put your faith in him. That is your only hope when you face death. That when you are raised up from the dead, your only hope is that I have clung to Christ. One who has died and been raised and ascended to the Father. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're going to sing one more song before we are dismissed today. But I want to pray for us in the room. Pray for us that we would not just think of the resurrection story as something that can go in one ear and out the other, uh, but that we would hear it for the true story that it is and that we would know its significance in our life. So let's pray together.